So Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. That's going to be most of our, our foundation this morning as we talk about this. And there's a couple of things I just want you to understand. First of all, very clearly, Jesus is the apostle and high priest of our profession. This is of the new covenant. But also it says that we are partakers of the heavenly calling. And so we are partakers of this life of Jesus Christ and the role in the ministry that, that Jesus has given to us is to serve his kingdom and his purposes. So I just want you to understand it. Jesus is a high priest, but he's made us kings and priests as well. In chapter 5 of the book of Hebrews, I want you to read this with me through verse 7. 1 through 7. And every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men. In things pertaining to God. So I want you, I'm going to pull out a few things I want you to hold on to, and we're going to come back and talk about it. But first of all, we have to understand that we are ordained for men in the pertaining to the things of God. We are to serve men in behalf of God, in the name of God, through the power of God, but we are to minister to people in the name of the Lord. That he may both offer, a priest as well, may both offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. So just kind of understand a priesthood here. Just a, a priesthood in general is that which is ordained for men. They are to minister to men for God. They are to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. So just hold that in your heart. Maybe make a note of that in your notes. And it says as well that a priest should have compassion. Verse 2. Who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way. That's two groups of people. So a priest that is ministering to men on behalf of God. They should be compassionate people upon those that are ignorant and those that are out of the way. And that he himself also is compassed about or, or compassed with infirmity. And that's talking about a worldly priesthood. For by reason hereof, he ought, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer for sins. And no man takes this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made a high priest, but he that said to him, You are my son, today have I begotten you. As he saith also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications. That's another thing a priest should do, is offer up prayers and supplications, even with strong crying and tears to him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. Though he were a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Called of God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing you are dull of hearing. And I'm just talking about this ministry that Jesus is in and also that we are partakers of. So listen to verse 12 carefully. If you are a believer here this morning... 
take heed to this verse. For when, for the time, you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use, not reason of learning or listening or Bible going to Bible studies and committee or conferences, but by reason of use, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. In other words, what the author is saying here is, there's just got to come a point in the body of Christ where we can get somewhere. We've got to go on. that, That Christianity cannot continue to be elementary. It cannot continue to be the nurturing of babies. But babies have to grow up and they have to go into a mature adulthood. And that happens through the, the exercising of your senses, using what God has given you to use. And we're not talking about our natural features, of course. We're talking about our spiritual capacities, our spiritual man, our new man in Christ. Just as your human body has all of these abilities and you have the ability to strengthen your muscles and you have the ability to grow in your body, you have the ability to grow your mind, you have the ability to cause your senses to be more sharpened through the use of them. If a baby's born and kept in a dark room for a particular period of time, that baby will eventually lose its sight for the lack of use. And so in the same way, you have a spiritual man that has the ability to grow stronger in its muscle structure, the ability to grow in its senses and discern things spiritually and to be able to teach and to be able to minister things. And all of this is set on the heels of Jesus's ministry being that of the order of Melchizedek. And I would venture to ask, how many of you have studied Jesus' priesthood after the order of Melchizedek? How many of you can teach that? How many of you are exercising that in your life? And so I I pray and, and my desire is, is that for us to study New Covenant priests, that we would be able to be provoked by the Holy Spirit to really study and become teachers of this. And that we can go on somewhere in our Christian life, in our Christian faith, and we don't have to meet week after week after week just talking about the need to be saved, the need to repent, the need to put our faith in God. I mean, we got to get past that. We know that. It's not like we're leaving that for something else, but that's the foundation, you know? And it's like somebody trying to build a house, and all they do is they come back and deal with the, the concrete slab. You know, for months and months and months. And the architect's like, hey, when are you going to begin to build the house? We just look at the foundation. So that's the way it is with Christianity. And I believe it's been that way for decades. It's just so shallow because the body of Christ is not growing. It's not maturing because we love to listen to the teachers. We love to go to the teachings, but we're not using our senses to grow up and and discern these things ourselves. And I'm not indicting you in that. I'm just saying in general in Christianity. So let's go on because there is this priesthood that we are to be a part of. 
And so he tells us in chapter 7, verse 11, it says, If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? So pause for just a moment. And verse 11 tells us that the Levitical priesthood will not continue into the new covenant. It is not, it cannot function in it. The Levitical priesthood does not bring perfection. The Levitical priesthood is that which is associated with the law, which will only condemn men. It will not save men. And so therefore, a new priesthood has to arise, not after the Levites, but it will be of another order, and it would be after the order of Melchizedek. And he says in verse 12, For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. So not only does the priesthood change because that priesthood was not perfect and that priesthood could not bring perfection. And so if that priesthood has to change, then the basis of those priests ministering has to change as well. There has to be a different law. And now it's the law of grace. It's not the law of Moses. It's the law of grace. It's the law about the means of the Holy Spirit to make people holy and righteous and just through the merits of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says in verse 13, For he of whom these things are spoken pertains to another tribe, of which no man gave attendance to the altar. Jesus was from the tribe of Judah, not the tribe of Levi. And so that would raise the question to Jews, how could Jesus be the Messiah and be a priest? He's not of the Levites. And so that's what this book is about. And so it is evident in verse 14 that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident for that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there arises another priest who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. For he testifies, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment, the Old Testament, going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in, and this is what I want you to see, the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw near to God. And inasmuch as not without an oath, he was made perfect. For those priests were made without an oath, but this with an oath, by him that said to him, The Lord swear and will not repent. Speaking to Jesus, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So by so much was Jesus made a surety of a better covenant. There's a new priest and there's a new covenant. The old priesthood has not moved into the new covenant and the law of Moses has not moved into the new covenant. There's a new law and there's a new priesthood and there's a new high priest. And so this new one is so much better than the old one. And this has been the desire of God. And so just very quickly, it says in verse 23, And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, because he continues ever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore he, speaking of Jesus, is able to also save them to the uttermost that come to God by him, seeing he ever lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest became us. 
He became this for us. Holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. Who needs not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. For the law makes men high priests which have infirmity. But the word of the oath which was since the law makes the son who is consecrated forevermore. Now this is the sum of the things we've spoken. We have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. A minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched and not man. God made this, not Moses. And so this is better, and it's better than what went before. It's better than the old covenant. And I want to go back to chapter 3 of Hebrews, and I want to look at verse 1, because it starts off with wherefore. And that word takes us backwards into something that has been previously stated. And so what I desire to do is I want to highlight a lot of what we've just read And I kind of want to spell out three aspects of what the new covenant priest looks like. What we do, how we serve the kingdom of God, how we serve Jesus, what it should look like in our life. And I say this to you with with great desire in my heart, that by reason of use, we will grow and we will mature and our, our, our capacity spiritually will grow and mature. And that the body of Christ will become much more effectual in bringing glory to Jesus Christ and men and women into the kingdom of God. Because that's what this priesthood really is all about. Bringing people to the king and, um, and through the merits of the king. So he says, wherefore, in chapter 3, verse, verse 1, and so I just want to back up in chapter 2, verse 17... And it says, wherefore, and just talking about this priesthood that Jesus has, wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. And I want to talk about a priest, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. And so our priesthood, as we serve as priest, we should be merciful and faithful. We should be merciful and faithful. We're not the high priest, but we're, we're, we're serving under him. And we should be merciful and faithful. And we should live in such a way that helps provide the reconciliation for the sins of the people. That's what we should do. And it talks about that he himself has suffered being tempted. And he's able to secure them that are tempted. And that's another aspect I would say in the mercy and the faithfulness of the priestly role is that we are able to have compassion upon one another and we're able to help one another as any one of us could be undergoing temptation in their life that we're able to come and secure you, to comfort you. The testimony of Christianity, tragically for far too long, is that Christianity uh, disposes and discards its wounded. We shoot our wounded. We, we, leave, we leave them open and vulnerable and exposed because somebody in the body of Christ committed adultery and they're out. Somebody in the body of Christ had an unwed pregnancy and they're out. Somebody in the body of Christ was found gambling and they're out. Somebody in the body of Christ had gotten drunk and they're out. And we shoot our wounded, we throw them to the wayside. And that is not the New Testament priesthood. That might be a Levitical priest, but not a New Testament priest. 
And, and when we try to bring that into the body of Christ and we destroy our own and we are aggressively fighting against what our high priest in heaven is doing, then we begin, we, we think we're doing God's service, but we're actually hindering what Jesus is doing. We have to cooperate with our high priest and what he's doing. And what he is doing is he's being merciful, he's being faithful, he's being compassionate, he's offered up gifts and sacrifices for the sins of the people. And so we serve under him, and our priesthood has to match his. And that is only possible through the Holy Spirit. There can be no real priest, priestly living apart from the Holy Spirit of God. So I want to talk about just three things this morning about as priests and I, that, that we draw from the book of Hebrews. That as new covenant priests, what we should be about, what, what our life should be about. It should be about mercy and it should be about faithfulness and it should be about a life that is ordained for men by God. It's ordained for men by God. And so a true new covenant priest, a true new covenant minister, which we all are. Don't think of some professional evangelist or pastor or something. Just people of God, born again people. And our true ministry is, is that we are here. If you really want to serve Jesus, then serve one another. If you really want to serve Jesus, serve men. If you really want to serve Jesus, get on your knees and wash the feet of even a Judas. If you really want to serve Jesus. If you really want to be a minister. Don't look for a pulpit or a stage. But look for a need in somebody's life. And go to them. In the compassion. Of the high priest. Go to them in that. And if you don't have the compassion of the high priest. Then have the, have the spirit of the high priest. Which is the Holy Spirit. And he will give you the compassion. And we can minister to one another. So the first thing I want to talk about. Is being a merciful priest. And we're going to come back to Hebrews. But I want you to turn just one book over to the book of James chapter 3. And I want you to see this about mercy and, and so forth. And I, 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 this verse was on my heart to just speak to us about this this morning. But it says in James 3 verse 9 or, or, or verse 8. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. That's why I believe one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is the gift of tongues. Because it just shows that the Holy Spirit has taken the reins of a man's tongue. And um, therewith bless we God, even the Father. And therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. And, I, and it doesn't give any qualifications for the men or women or mankind. It just talks about the fact that men, all men of all races, are made in the image of God. And if you're going to be a merciful high priest, how can you speak evil or ill of any man, but yet Christians do it all the time? We, we do it in gossip, we do it in slander, we do it in frustration. We do it when we watch the news. We do it when we watch people tearing up a city. We begin to curse people. We speak ill of them. Don't, don't think of cursing in, in the sense of, you know, curse words that are so common today. But it's just words that are demeaning and disrespectful of the image of God in man. And we're to serve as the priest of God. We've got to show mercy. 
We've got to see the value of all humans. We've got to see the image of God in all people. People that are changing their sex. People that are fighting against even the very ways of God. We have got to see the image of God in them. We've got to see them. Oh God, if you save their life, if they were delivered from this bondage and this deception and this darkness and released from Satan's hold and they came into the kingdom of God, how beautiful would they be? I want to see that image of God saved. And you speak that way. You talk that way. You pray that way. And it would, it would change the whole focus of the church. It would change the whole motives of the church and so forth. And so be careful if you're going to be a priest that's really anointed of the Lord. Be careful of how you speak because God hears it. And he's not fooled by it. And so God doesn't want us come and blessing the Lord with our songs and our hymns and then we curse men. And he wants us to be able to bring a blessing to all people. And so I want you to understand this, that we must be merciful. People do not need a priest because they have no sin. People need a priest because they have sin. Not one of us has been perfected yet. Not one of us has reached the final culmination of being conformed to the image of Jesus yet. So every one of us in this room, this man right here standing in this pulpit, deals with sin in his life. The Holy Spirit deals with sin in me. I'm being made like Christ. And I thank God I have a high priest in heaven that's interceding for me. And is able to save me to the uttermost. That is, that is crying out the efficacy of his blood. I must do the same for you. Whether your sin has been exposed or whether I know that perhaps your sin has not been exposed and it's still a private matter between you and God, I know you. I know what you're dealing with. I know what you're struggling with because you're me. And so there's nothing different about us. Given the right environment, the right situation, the right moment, there's absolutely nothing you could not do. You could make Hitler blush. That potential is in every one of us. And so therefore, I want to minister mercy to you. The ability of God to, to help you and to strengthen you. And so we have a high priest who, is made, who has made atonement for us and who is interceding for us out of mercy. Praise God. And I, I want you to see this in, back in Hebrews chapter 8. I want you to see one of the beautiful differences of the new covenant as opposed to the old covenant. And I want you to see this in, in Hebrews chapter 8. And I, I want to see, in, it says in this, verse 8, and he says, For finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant I made with their fathers. So it's not like that one. How many of you are glad? Praise God. It's not like that one. When I took them by the hand, led them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. They broke it, and I didn't regard them. Right? How much better is this covenant? And here it is. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For all shall know me. Isn't this what eternal life is, after all? That they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus whom he sent. 
They shall all know me from the least to the greatest. And listen to this beautiful verse. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. Wow. In the old covenant, I disregarded them. But in the new covenant, I'll be merciful to their unrighteousness. And their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. In that he says a new covenant he has made the first old. Now that which decays and wax old is ready to vanish away. In other words, let it go. Let it go. And the problem with religion is so many cannot let go of Moses. But what freedom there is when you do. What holiness there is when you do. Um, Everything that anybody could ever want with God is a gift in the new covenant. Everything. All the power. All the desires. And all the desires of God. You shall have no other God beside me. You should not steal. You should not kill. You should not commit adultery. You should not bear false witness against your neighbor. All of that is accomplished in the new covenant. Nothing is left out. There are no other gods before God in the life of a person that's born again into the new covenant of God. There is not. The Holy Spirit won't let there be. He rules the life. He will, he will deal with the life and bring conviction and, and so forth. So we have to be merciful to help people really understand the love and the mercy of God and the efficacy of the blood of Jesus Christ and the atonement that God has made for all men through the death of Jesus. And that they would be born again and they would come into this great kingdom and that they would enter into this great covenant. And this is fundamental. The second aspect of a priest is he must be faithful. He must be faithful. And I I just remind you of this in Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7. And there's a faithfulness to offer prayers and supplications. And this would go back to the new covenant uh, priest that we studied last week about part of our priestly ministry is prayer. And that is a that is a Pentecostal phenomenon, the prayer meeting. And so I would we talked about that last week. But if we're going to be faithful priests, then we must be faithful to pray and bring supplication. The word supplication means to ask a favor of. And so I remember like God sent Kevin here from Arizona and just reunited with his friendship and everything. And he was looking for a job and so forth. Right. And so you asked me to pray for you. I went to God and I said, Lord, I want to ask a favor for my friend. I just started to have a ministry as a priest before the father for my brother. I said, I want to ask you a favor for my friend Kevin. He's here. He needs, he needs work. God, would you bless him with work? And God's, God's helped him. God's taken care of him with that. And that's just what we do. We, we go and we ask the father on behalf of one another. I want to go and represent you to the father. Lord, somebody's sick. I love this person. And I know you love this person. And I want to ask you a favor, God. Would you heal them? I want to bring a supplication to you for their life, God, that you would help them. And that's what we do as priests, right? Because we have compassion and we have mercy. And thank God, if we have mercy upon people, we have an outlet to a God who is benevolent and powerful And he's able to actually help the people now that we're going to begin to do a faithful work for. And so we pray and we bring supplication before God for men and we pray to them. But I want to look at this regard of a a priesthood because God said that often in in Hebrews, it's for the sins of the people. And so I want to bring state. We're going to come back to Hebrews, but Galatians chapter six, I want you to see this. And I think this would go hand in hand with what we read at the end of Hebrews 5 into chapter 6. That we would grow up and we would be mature and we would be spiritual. We would understand our priesthood. 
And so he says in Galatians chapter 6, Brethren, if any man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. And oh God, that we need priests like that in the body of Christ. Not, not the intellect, not people that are able to open up the scriptures and just kind of put you in your place and what you need. And I know the answer for you and I, I've, I've got exactly what you need to do. That's not spiritual. It can be a part of spirituality, but it's not spirituality in itself. And so not everybody's spiritual in the body of Christ. And when I read this passage in Galatians chapter 6, it says, If any man's overtaken to fault, you who are spiritual, restore him. If you're not spiritual, don't touch him. You don't know what you're bringing on yourself, for one. Because you're about to enter into a situation that you may not be prepared for. And what you're about to go deal with in somebody else's life, that demon's going to start attacking you. That, that, that spirit that's been enticing them might entice you in the same way. I've seen it happen my whole life. And so what does it say about a spiritual person? A spiritual person is, has the spirit of meekness. There's a gentleness about them. A gentleness. Not a weakness, but a gentleness. They consider themselves, lest they're also tempted. They consider themselves. I'm no better than you. Only by the grace of God. So I'm treading into this with a gentleness. Because I don't want to break you and I don't want to hurt you and I don't want to damage you. And I'm certainly not here to just like give you a bunch of information on what you need to do. But I want to come into your life gently. I also understand who I am and my great need for God. And then I want to bear your burden. I'm not here to just tell you what's wrong with you. But I'm here to walk with you through it. I'm here to carry the heaviness of it and the weight of it for as long as it takes. Until you have freedom in your life. I want to bear this with you. That's rare in the body of Christ. A lot of people love to say what's wrong with everybody. But that's not spiritual. But spiritual people, they will bear one another's burdens. They will fulfill the law of Christ. And if any man thinks himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. And that's what an unspiritual man is. He thinks he knows. He just thinks he knows. And he doesn't know. He doesn't know himself and he's deceived. And so that's a very, very great danger. And so I believe this priesthood uh, that, that is to be faithful has to be spiritual, has to be mature. Hebrews chapter 5 going into chapter 6, it just has to be matured. It has to be strong. The last aspect that I want to talk about is that this priesthood should operate in the gifts and in sacrifices. It should operate in gifts and in sacrifices. And I, I think this is very, very important. And I want to bring this out to you because this is the new covenant priesthood. And I want to go back to chapter 5 of Hebrews verse 1. And it says, Every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. And I want to talk about this for just a moment. Kind of bringing this to a conclusion this morning. And I'm, I'm going to look at a, about two other scriptures but in offering gifts and sacrifices for the sins of the people, hear me out, in the new covenant priesthood, it's different. 
than the Levitical priesthood. We are not making atonement in this new covenant, for it is done. So what is our priesthood? It is to preserve the faith of believers as they struggle with their sin and their sanctification. It is to preserve their faith. It is to secure their confidence in the atonement of Jesus Christ that has already been given for them. That they have hoped in and trusted in that we come alongside them to help them maintain that faith in Jesus Christ and that hope of sanctification through his blood that they will be like him. And the Bible says we're to do this to both the ignorant and those that are out of the way. Two groups of people. And the ignorant is those that just don't know better. They don't understand. They don't know. They've gotten themselves into something. They didn't see it coming. They didn't intend for it to happen. It just, it just came up into their life. Maybe they were young. Maybe they were immature. Maybe they were off guard. But it's not something they wanted to happen. And so we are to be ministering to them to help them in their walk with God. And a lot of times we don't have a problem doing that for somebody like that. Because they were caught off guard. Probably like a lot of times that happens with you. But the other group of people are those that are out of the way. It means they purposely and intentionally strayed away. And, and that's the kind of people we can say, well, you made your bed, you need to sleep in it. I warned you not to do this. I told you that was going to happen. Didn't I say that to you? Didn't I tell you? So don't come bothering me. No, no, no. That's not the new covenant priest. The new covenant priest is like, I knew this was going to happen. I know that the Lord warned you. And just as the Lord warned you, the Lord is speaking to you now that you can come back to the Father. You can be restored. The blood of Jesus Christ still speaks for you. And you can come, you can come back in. And so it's for both of those groups. Those that didn't mean to and those that did. So it's just really everybody. And we're to offer these gifts and these sacrifices for them. And I want you to, just a couple of scriptures, I would say this, the gifts, I would say, are the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The charisma gifts of the Holy Spirit are the gifts that we need to offer in regards to the body of Christ, in regards to humanity, if anybody is to have hope in Jesus Christ, if anybody's to hope in the blood of, of the atonement, if anybody's to hope in, in, the, in the eternal life of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, who sits there as our high priest and intercedes for us, if we're to give men on earth hope in that realm that they cannot see, they cannot touch, they, they may not hear, we are that connection from heaven and the high priest that we can demonstrate Demonstrate on earth the reality of our God and our King and our sacrifice and our Lamb and our God who sits alive at the throne of God. Then you have hope and He can save to the uttermost. It is the gifts of the Holy Spirit operating through our life. How many times have we tried to go to somebody depressed and hurting and fallen in sin and we try to encourage them and we try to help them and we speak everything we know, we say everything we know to do, we pray over them our prayers and only at the end of all of that they're still defeated and they're still despairing and they're still just wallowing in their, their shame and their guilt. But if the Holy Spirit could operate in a gift through your life, just little one little word of knowledge and everything Satan did would be wiped out of their life, they would be lifted and they would be happy and they would be restored to God by the gifts of the Holy Spirit. 
We help people deal with their sins through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We don't use the gifts of the Holy Spirit to beat others up, but to help restore and strengthen and inspire the faith of other believers. And this is a modern tragedy. It may not be so modern. It could be a little bit older than that. But we have been made to believe that the reason we don't see the gifts work is because of sin. And the church is not holy enough to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. And I say that's the way of Moses. Our gifts in the new covenant is because there is sin. And we've already been made holy through our high priest. And the gifts of the Holy Spirit are given to operate among us, not because we're perfect, but because we're imperfect. And not because we're strong, but because we're weak. And not because we've got it together, but because we don't have it together. And not because I can pull myself up, but because I can't pull myself up. And I need the power of a God in my life. And God gives us the gifts of his Holy Spirit so that we can serve as his priest on earth to actually help one another through the divine supernatural enablement of the Holy Spirit. And that's what these gifts do. And I want to be in a church where the gifts of the Spirit are alive and effective and working because I need the grace of God. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are grace. They're charisma gifts. They're gracious gifts of God that are not earned. They're given. And we should exercise them. And so this is something that should happen. The sacrifices that we are to offer. And I'll, I'll kind of bring it to a close with this. In Hebrews chapter 13. Talking about our priesthood, right? So he says here in Hebrews 13 verse 12. It says, wherefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood. Suffered without the gate. Let us go forth therefore to him without the camp bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. And so that's our sacrifice. We are to offer gifts and sacrifices for the sins of the people. That's a priestly ministry. And the gifts that I have to offer... For anybody that's struggling in sin, anybody that's struggling in their sanctification or their faith with God, is not my ability to interpret some kind of scripture to help you with, but my hope and my faith that there is a Holy Ghost who can move and speak in your life. And the second thing that I can do to help people that are struggling with their sin is for me to praise God. For me to leave the camp and go and identify myself with the one that was rejected. And identify myself with him and to praise him and to offer continually the praise of my mouth to him. And if I want to be a priest, I get to do that. Both of these things suffer greatly in the church of Jesus Christ in our Western civilization. First Peter chapter 2, just a couple of books over, tells us this. It's, it's redundant, so I want to read it to you. And the Bible says in 1 Peter 2, 5, you also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. So there's our priesthood again. And what is this about? What do we do as priests? We offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. And so that's our priesthood. That's what we do. We offer up spiritual sacrifices. What are these? Verse 9. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. That you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's your priestly ministry. 
You get to do that. You don't have to do that, but you get to do that. And that is what we are supposed to do. We are to offer these sacrifices of praise to God. We are to draw attention to the efficacy of the blood of the Lamb. We are to declare loudly and proudly and shine forth and boast that the Lamb of God is worthy. We should do that in our congregational gatherings. We shouldn't gather through the tradition that we might have seen in America. Look where it's gotten us. But we should instead become biblical people and we should be biblically new covenant priests of God that, that come out from among them and draw near to Jesus Christ and lift up our sacrifices of praise to God because it's going to help people. How is it going to help people? Because it's going to bring the presence of God. And when God's there, there's hope. There's life. There's sanctification. Battles are won. Devils are fought off in the presence of God. Back in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, he says this. He says, Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. That the trial of your faith, the trial of your faith, that's, that's the whole thing for the devil is to bring your faith under attack. And so for us as a priest, it should be one of our, our intentional efforts is to strengthen the faith of God's people. Knowing that there are times when believers are under a manifold temptation of heaviness. Anybody could have walked into a service like that today. You could have received news that has been tragic in your life. You could have just woke up. Maybe, maybe you, maybe you fell in sin and you're, you're incredibly overwhelmed with shame in your life right now. You muster up all of the effort you can to get to church. And then you get to church. And what kind of church do you want to get to? A dead church? A church that can sing hymns but has no power of God among them? A church that has no gifts of the Holy Spirit? A church that has formality and no life. A church where people just sit in their chairs and there's no compassion upon one another. Or would you rather go into a church where there's faith that's alive and faith that's fresh and people that are going after God. And people that are believing God to come because I know God in this service today. There are people that are hurting and there are people that are suicidal. And there are people that are dealing with tragedy in their life. And God, the greatest thing that I can do for people today is to access your presence, God. And that you would come down here and you would be among us, God. Because you'll help the people. It's the greatest thing that I could do. To usher in the presence of God by worshiping God in the beauty of holiness. That's the greatest thing anybody can do for any believer that's fighting hell. It's the greatest thing we can do. Get to God. Get to God. And that's the kind of church that I want to be a part of. I believe that's the kind of church you want to be a part of. So don't point the fingers at a dead church. Because just you can make it alive. Just you. Because it's contagious. The religious will never participate in it. But the redeemed can't help but separate themselves and identify themselves with the Lamb. They can't help it. I've got to help. I've got to do something. I've got to serve. I've got to do it. How beautiful are those who worship in the beauty of holiness. 
who go forth before the singers and fight. They fight in the altars. They fight unbelief. They fight fear. They fight sickness. They fight in the name and the blood and the word of God and the Holy Ghost. They fight. They fight while you're living and they fight while you're dying and they fight. They fight for you. They decorate the holiness of God and the things in God's house with absolute beauty. This body of Christ that serves as priests, they move about the congregation of the Lord and they move about the saints and they even move about the world bringing edification and comfort and exhortation to the masses of humanity. They exercise themselves in the body of Christ with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and doctrines and truth and tongues and revelations and interpretations. They walk around and they pray for one another and they love one another and they serve one another and they care for one another. They're keenly aware by the Holy Spirit that there are needs that are around them and they have to intervene through supplications to God. Father, I have a favor to ask you. They're so aware. There are those that say, I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to pray. And that is why God has given you the gift of tongues. And the help of the Holy Spirit to help you pray when you don't know what to do. Pentecostal ministry is not a ministry that sits in the church. Sits under the word. And hopes that people will turn their lives around. Give you a few principles. And go try these for the, for the rest of the week. And see how it does you. Instead, Pentecostal ministry of the Pentecostal priesthood is a ministry that believes that the Holy Spirit can come and get a hold of you and do something with your life. And that congregation is filled and anointed and they believe the word and they exercise the gifts as a testimony that they do believe. That's the action of their faith. So we are a kingdom of priests to God to manifest the kingdom of God on earth. And there's nothing that Satan would rather attack, attack more than the open, free expression of the redeemed, magnifying with loud voices the glory of the Lamb. Lest some prodigal hear that you can come home. The devil says, sit in silence. Your flesh says, I'm embarrassed. What might somebody think of me? And others might say, well, you're just trying to be showy. You bet I am. Let me say this as I close. The highest occupation of angels is praise. The highest exercise in heaven is praise. Heaven considers this the most important thing to continually be done in heaven. It is happening unceasingly day and night around the throne of God. Why would God tolerate an activity and exercise in heaven that is futile and irrational? Just consider how loud it is in heaven with the rushing of rivers, the lightning, the thunder, the voices, angels crying, holy, holy, holy to him which was and is and is to come. The giving of thanks to him on the throne. The 24 elders falling on their faces before God and standing up and falling down again. The strong angels crying with mighty voices proclaiming that the Lamb of God is worthy. The voices of those that are singing. The saints of the Lord with loud voices. The highest function of the angels is praise. The highest function of the human spirit is praise. The secret to, to faith is to have no doubt. That's the secret to faith. Is to have a faith that has no doubt in it. And the secret to having no doubt is praise. If you want to pray and have faith that believes, then start praising God. And you'll meet this God. And you'll know he can do anything. Even correct what I just said. Oh, Lord. All right, Carla.
Oh, help me. (laughs) Father, we thank you in, in Jesus' name. Come on, let me just ask you where you are. Just make an altar for a moment. And just ask yourself, how are you doing in your priestly ministry? How are you doing? What's your mercy like, your faithfulness? How is your gifts and sacrifices for those that are in sin? How are you fighting for the body of Christ through praise? How vocal and free and expressive are you of how much you love Jesus and you want the whole world to see it? How ashamed of you are, uh, are you of Jesus? Embarrassed. You might say that you're ashamed of yourself or you're embarrassed of yourself, but So just in this moment, presenting yourself to God in this altar, just consider yourself. And you've been given, in the new covenant, you've been given the greatest gift. The greatest gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit. He is your companion, your strength, your grace, your help. For your ministry as a priest is not what you make yourself. Jesus has made you a priest. And he's anointed you with his spirit to do it. So let us go on. Let us go on. I ask your blessings, Father, upon these wonderful people. Lord, this is the hour and the day when the world needs to see how glorious the high priest is. And Lord, may we as priests in this generation be able to demonstrate that through the Holy Spirit in a very glorious way. I give you all the honor and all of the praise in Jesus' holy name.